cross my death to take From the cross to the grave From the grave to the sky Lord, I lift your name on high You came from heaven to earth To show the way From the earth to the cross My death to take From the cross to the grave From the grave to the sky Lord, I lift your name on high. Lord, I lift your name on high. Amen. Let's all rise to our feet and we'll open up with prayer. Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning. And God, we're here to lift your name on high, Lord, to glorify you for what you've done, to remember what you've done, Lord. So quickly we go about life and forget the marvelous work that you've done and, Lord, we forget how you've saved us and redeemed us. And, and, Lord, we're just here to remember that, to glorify you and to praise your name together as your church, Lord. God, I pray that your spirit would have free reign this morning, God, that you would just uh, remove anything from our minds and our hearts that would keep us from receiving your word. And, God, uh, from hearing your voice, Lord, I pray that you would set us apart for you, Lord Jesus. In your name I pray, amen. Well, welcome to each of you. It's good to see you all. And... Uh, we're going to have a time of worship and praise and testimony and sharing. So if you have anything to share uh, throughout this morning's uh, service, just feel free to speak up. And happy Mother's Day uh, to all you mothers here. Um, we're so thankful for you. And um, I don't know where I would be. I know my, my mother spent a lot of time praying for me, praying that I would come to know the Lord and... God answered her prayer, and I'm so thankful for her and for each one of you. Um, let's sing, Better Is One Day. One thing 
situation with every problem with every with every praise with every rejoicing with every victory and lord know that you are always there for us and lord that you are delighted with us in our victories and lord that you are there to help us to see us through in our defeats and lord i just want to just thank you lord that we can look forward to a day with you lord that heaven is real it's not just a struggle here on this earth but lord that heaven is real we have that time for eternity to look forward to with you. And Lord, that we know that if we are faithful, Lord, that we trust in you here for this short time, Lord, that we do have eternity. And Lord, I just pray that we would, even as we just sang, Lord, we would look at this life here in in the smallness of what it is and that we would be faithful in every circumstance, in every trial, Lord, for knowing that we will have thousands of days with you. Lord, I just I just praise you this morning, Lord, and thank you for your love and your grace and your mercy that I get to experience in my life every day. And Lord, for your Holy Spirit that is there truly as a comforter and as a helper to see us through in everything that we go through. I pray this in your name. stars burn down and the earth wears out and we stand before the throne with the witnesses who have gone before we will rise and all applaud singing blessings 
be seated.
I don't know if it was because it was the first week of spring or it felt like finally we had spring this week, but it was a crazy week. And it felt like everybody that hadn't driven a car in the last two years decided to find the road and drive their car. Um, but it was just, I don't know, Thursday or Friday, it was, was it Thursday? Yeah. Thursday and Friday, but more Friday. It was just terrible. Thursday, it was terrible because I talked to Abe. He said traffic's always worse on Thursday. And it was just like, everything was just so bad. It was everywhere I went, I got the next slow person in front of me. Somebody said that I always end up with a slow car in front of me because I'm always going faster than everybody else, so of course the next car is slower. But it just wasn't that way. It was just I found everybody that was driving 10 mile an hour under the speed limit, and I got behind them. And it was just one of those days where nothing seemed to quite go right. And I was meditating on what... um, our next youth Bible study is, and we're finishing out Ephesians with the armor of God. And I just found myself lacking in so many of those things that day. I was not putting on the armor of God. I was not living victorious in Christ because I was worried about this world and my life here. And I just, again, it wasn't, it, it didn't work just like, oh yeah, I thought about it and everything was great. It was just a rough day all the way through. But it was something where I purposely focused my eyes on Christ again and just said, Lord, I need you in this. I can't do it on my own. And the day still didn't just turn around. And my wife, my favorite saying that my wife hates right now is it's not a bad, it's just, it's not a bad life, it's just a bad day. She said, but you can't say it every day because then it makes it a bad life. <laughs> But if we turn our eyes to Christ purposefully, it's not like the struggle ends. But there is a purpose to our struggle. And that is what I want to focus on when I go through the rough times in life, is or the rough days, is that I focus to Christ, not myself. It's not about how my day ends, but it's what I did with my day in that focus of my heart. Amen. You're able to stand up and let's all sing together. Blessed be your name.
Um, Brandon, it's All Who Are Thirsty. I hope the lyrics are in there. Um, we were singing this, we were just warming up this morning to practice, and we sang this song, and I don't know why, the words just really spoke to me this morning. We are hungry. He is more than happy to feed us. If we come to him thirsty, he will give us. He will fill our cup to overflowing. We're trying to overflow our cup with the things of this world, people in this world, good deeds, any of that, whatever. Do you just put, you guys all know your own life. You know what that struggle is to put there. It'll never fill up. But if we fill it up with Christ, it is full to overflowing. All who are thirsty.
come to the fountain Dip your heart in the stream of life Let the pain and the sorrow Be washed away Nothing but your will for me. I am only free when you come. We're only free in Christ. Amen. Amen. Um, let's all be seated. And Brother Dave, I'll turn the time over to you. Testimony of, of wanting something better and seeking with all her heart something better. I was shocked because I was happy that he was okay. And uh, just never forgot that. Thinking of moms this morning, I was on my phone, and I seen the, the Weather Channel, and there was this, a video about an animal, and it was like saying happy Mom's Day. But it's even in Mother Nature, you see how a mother cares for its young. And it just kind of really hit me, that spirit that a mom has. So, uh, anyway. Anybody else? Yeah, I get you. <laughs> um, sing on. Yeah, I uh, thank you, Mom, for being a mother to me. I've 15 years I've been here, and I like Phil said, you're a mom from the minute I walked in the door. And thank you so much for that. Taught me so much. I remember you. Yeah, I was barely, barely dating your daughter, but she already took over all my finances immediately. (laughs) 
I still remember that. I was sitting there shaking my head, and I was trying to figure all this out. I didn't have a choice but to marry her at that point. Um, <laughs> no, it was it was so good. And I, I who was I talking to the other day about how when Sarada and I were dating, I mean, we spent all our time with you guys because that was just where we wanted to be. We'd go out on a date and be like, nah, let's go back and play Rook with Mom and Dad. And thank you so much for that care and that love that you have in our lives. And for my wife... I mean, I'm totally biased, but that's okay. I think she's the most amazing mom in the world to our boys. And if mom, you taught her how to care for her kids in the way that she does, I know she gives everything to them. And I think my boys can testify to that. Nothing goes if mom's not around. Nothing happens if mom's not around. Even in the middle of singing, the boys have to come up and talk to her. Um, it's just, it never, it never ends. Her job is never done. I can shut the key off and go home at the end of the day and I can relax and, and sit on the couch. Her job continues all the way until they're finally sleeping. And even then she has an ear still listening for what's, what their needs are. And like Dave said too, with the mother nature, it is that care. It just never stops going. And if I ever have to look at God and say, how does God care for me? I can look at a mother and understand that heart of care, of over overwatching, of just always there, just always an ear tuned to the slightest sound, the slightest noise. Um, my mom, too. I mean, she would never sleep very well until we were all in bed. Little did she know I was reading all night long and, you know, just sleeping was not on my highest agenda list. But we could go up and down those stairs without mom hearing us, but it was a real effort because mom would hear those stairs creak every time. And that's the care that I know my wife has for her boys, and it's amazing to, to see that, and thank you so much. As a kid, I always thought that uh, all the other kids' moms weren't as good as my mom. And I figured there'd never be as good of a mom or a better mom than my mom. And, you know, that's, she's pretty good, but I must say my wife, I think, is a better mom. So I'd just like to thank Maggie for giving me four beautiful kids and uh, just always being by my side and just being the best mom in the world. And this, the, our youngest Dom stays up all night unless you hold him, and she just keeps going. She just keeps doing everything else with about an hour or two of sleep every night. It's just amazing. So I'd just like to bless my wife and thank her for being the wonderful wife and mother that she is. Well, I'd like to say uh, happy Mother's Day to my wife. It's the first Mother's Day uh, that she is a mom to our... God is so good. We're expecting a little one in September, and um, heard the heartbeat yesterday, and um, God is so good. I remember last fall, y'all surrounded us with prayer because we had lost a baby, and and it's a bit of a story, but God worked a miracle, and uh, we didn't need surgery or anything like that, so I want to give God the glory for that, but um, yeah, it's so uh, exciting, and this past week, she helped deliver four other ones for other mothers. Um, 
So she does absolutely amazing. She's carrying her own and helping other women with theirs. So uh, she's an incredible woman. I'd like to praise God for her. Anybody else? Okay, if not, we'll just take a little short break. Um, there's some cupcakes or whatever in the back table for the moms. Maybe moms, go ahead and help yourself so your little kiddos don't whoop it all up. Chocolate cupcakes, whatnot back there. So I know my wife likes the chocolate thing, but... Um, when you start getting our age, you know, you start needing a little bit gluten-free and all of this stuff. But anyway, use your own discretion. <laughs> but uh, we'll take about a 10-minute break. And then uh, i got Brother John Olive here from Cheyenne for uh, bringing us the word. So anyway, we'll just take a break at this moment. Again, it's a blessing to have Brother John Olive here. Uh, I've known John Olive for quite a few years since we've been here in Colorado. Um, my wife always says John is her, she enjoys probably hearing John the most. And I really appreciate his practicality of everyday living and how to apply it. Uh, that's just been a tremendous blessing for me. Sometimes we hear these doctrinal teachings, and it's all very well and done. But sometimes I think we're, we like sometimes, we're very much appreciate what Olive has done is the practicality of every day and how the Christian life looks to young Christians. With that, I'd like to just open up in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your love and your goodness to us. And we thank you for the privilege of having Brother Olive here with us. I just pray your blessing on him. Give him words to speak. And, Lord, I just thank you for your love. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. Thank you. Well, um, Penny and I sometimes joke about, you know, the, the preacher-teacher thing. I, I Once in a while I preach. Most of the time I teach. And today I'm teaching. Oh, so... Um, uh, I apologize, I don't have a Mother's Day message. I, when, I, when I prepare these, I usually am well in advance of, of I don't even know when I'm going to be down there yet. It's just something that God's laid on my heart. And it actually started this time with John Schroeder because we were having lunch after my, my last time down here, and John was saying one of the things he liked about this congregation was uh, how y'all really tried to reach out to the community. And... And that really struck a nerve with me because that's something that's near and dear to my heart. Uh, I've been involved in uh, community outreach with recovering addicts uh, for close to 20 years now. And, um, and so I, I, it's, it's, we, have a, we have a mandate in Scripture. Uh, it says, go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, uh, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Matthew 28, verses 19 and 20. Go make disciples of all the nations. So that's the, name, that's the title of this message, is Go Make Disciples. And um, all the nations, okay? So that's everybody. Now, um, we have 
we have had a history since the beginning of the church where we didn't do that. That was, that was not part of the plan, according to the disciples' thinking. They were going to go make disciples of all the Jews. That was their mission. They were going to go make, and they didn't think anybody else qualified. They didn't think uh, anybody in this room would have been acceptable to evangelize. We were unfit for the kingdom of God. It was Jews only. And, um, and, and so they had a, a much easier time reaching their own people, obviously, because everybody was of the same background, the same basic belief system. There was a lot of commonality. And even then, they still had problems. Uh, in, uh, in Acts chapter 6, they had issues with uh, uh, Jews who spoke Hebrew versus Jews who spoke uh, Greek, the Hellenistic Jews. And, and there was a problem at the beginning with the Hellenistic Jews being over, uh, over-slighted in the uh, distribution of, of daily food which uh, led to the first seven deacons, for lack of a better word. They weren't called deacons in, in, in that chapter, but that's what they were, uh, overseeing the distribution of food. And so they still had issues among themselves, but they were all Jews. They were all of the same cultural background. They just spoke different languages. Uh, but then Acts chapter 10 hit like an incredible bombshell when Peter is forced by the Holy Spirit to go to talk to Cornelius, a, a, he was not a Jew, he was a heathen, and yet a man who wanted to know God and appealed to God, and God sent him Peter. And, uh, and, unless, and unless God had sent the Holy Spirit on him and his friends and his family, Peter never would have baptized him. He would never have, have water baptized this man who was... He wasn't even supposed to be in the same room with this guy. And yet now the Holy Spirit's poured out on him. They're speaking in tongues. They're, they're glorifying God. And he's like, how can we deny water? You know, That was the beginning of a problem that has never left the church. How to deal with people from widely different backgrounds and cultures. And, and folks, it is an issue every single day in the church. And uh, uh, in, in conservative churches, we don't do a real good job of, um, of reaching out. So I want to talk about some of the practical issues that this raises. And uh, yes, Brother Dave, it's going to be practical. Everything I, you know, teaching recovering addicts Everything has to be pretty practical, right? I mean, they have to have nuts and bolts on how to live today. And so that's what I wind up doing most of the time, Um, which makes it a challenge to address an audience like this where most of you are pretty advanced in your faith. So so let's look at what happens in, in conservative churches in particular is that we intentionally or unintentionally alienate strangers because we, we all kind of dress the same, we all have kind of the same background, same culture, uh, and people that come in that, that don't share our belief system or background kind of feel a little weird. Uh, so that um, they usually will go to the 
you know, the megachurch down the street where nobody knows them and they don't really, they can just disappear. But discipleship doesn't happen here. It doesn't happen in a megachurch. It doesn't happen anywhere except in a small group. That's where discipleship happens. And if you think it's, that's, that's just how it happens. It cannot happen in a large group setting. To have discipleship, you've got to have give and take. You've got to have questions and answers. You've got to have, and there's no way to disciple people in a megachurch or even in, a, in what I'm doing. I can't do that. I can do it in a small group. That's, that's where it happens. So eventually that's where I'm going to lead you to. When, when 95% of your baptisms are your own children, you should know there is a serious problem with your evangelism. And that's what we see in the church today. Most of the time our baptisms are our own children. How often do we have people from outside that are being baptized? It's rare. That should be the norm for a church that is actually reaching out to the community. Um, we aren't reaching the lost, probably because if we were honest enough to admit it, we don't really want them because they make things messy. That is a, that's the truth about the situation. We're afraid for our kids. We're, we like our, our atmosphere we're in. We don't really want to disrupt that. So... Um, I don't want to minimize the issues involved with evangelistic outreach. They are very real, but they're not insurmountable. And so I want to talk about how to deal with some of that. One of the issues that we run into is the obviously the lack of sanctification of people that might be uh, in our congregation that are new converts. They are very rough around the edges. Their language, behavior, um, all sorts of things that they do that, that make us uncomfortable. Uh, and, uh, and we just would really prefer that we didn't even have to deal with it. That's our human nature. But, but God's love, if it's flowing through us, is going to say, I don't care what the obstacles are. We've got to find a way to reach them. We've got to find a way to reach out. Now, we don't, we don't want to play Holy Spirit. Our job is to share the word and let the word do its work. You have to be patient. If they are truly converted, they're going to have a desire for spiritual growth. And that desire is going to get them to think about the word and how they don't line up with it and allow the Holy Spirit to change them. We have to be really careful that we are not the Holy Spirit for them. Um, one word out of us about how, well, you can't be, you know, you can't fellowship here if you're going to do things like that. And they won't. They'll go somewhere else or they'll leave the faith. And so, and we're happy and God is not. So that is not an option for us. Um, it's like, it's like discipling or disciplining someone else's child. You know, it's like, do that at... <laughs> very cautiously, and only when the Holy Spirit absolutely says you've got to do that because that's somebody else's responsibility. When, when we're having new converts in here, uh, it's the Holy Spirit's job to, to sanctify them. That's not our job. Our job is to share the word with them and let the Lord use that word to change their hearts. Now, uh, explain to your children that they need to be examples for 
their friends and anyone who's in church with them. Um, and help the, the new members by not doing the things they do but maintaining their own standards and walk that, they're, that you have taught them as your parents so that they're modeling correct behavior, that they are part of that ministry team for children that, that have never maybe experienced anything like uh, a real walk with, with Christ uh, or even a... Even from a godly home, you know, you, you, your children have, a, have a, a much different behavior pattern than children that have come from single mother parents. And I mean, there's a lot of, there's a lot of brokenness out there. And so it's, that's part of your ministry is to be a friend to them but not follow their behavior. Um, now, when they talk among themselves, our children sometimes going to say unhurtful things that might hurt relationships. Absolutely, that's what children do, uh, especially if you do. So here's an example. If, if, uh, if you tell your children, well, playing violent video games is wicked, and then your child is associating with another child who plays violent video games, guess what's going to come out of their mouth? Well, that's wicked. And guess what's going to happen? There's going to be a division, and they're going to leave, and you're going to be happy, and God's not going to be. So try this. Um, say something like, son, playing violent video games is not good for people, but most of them don't know that, and so they do it without really thinking about the consequences. Now, if that information gets shared by your child with another child, that can become a teaching moment, a moment of instruction. Instead of a division, it could lead to actually them understanding something that they never even thought about. You would not believe what people of this world haven't thought about. They haven't thought about much of anything that we think about on a daily basis. They don't live there. That is not their normality whatsoever. And so how you communicate with your children about different things is important if you're going to do outreach because you're going to have people with completely different belief systems and behavior systems that they, that they don't have a clue. And so you've got to figure out a way to educate your children about that so that the information they share, if they share it, which they will, uh, gets done in a way that creates teaching moments instead of rejection. So, um, and you can, you can apologize in advance to the new folks. You know, it's like, I know this is, this is kind of a strange environment for you. I apologize in advance. If our children say anything that, that offends your children or whatever offends you, you know, please talk to us about that so that we can you know, clear the air and, and make sure it's okay because we don't want to run you off. And um, this, is, this should be the normal operating procedure for a healthy church. It's a lot of cultural conflict like this, blending in different backgrounds and... Uh, belief systems, because everybody's got to start somewhere, and when they when they start, they don't know anything, and it, they're, they're just they're spiritual children, and you are supposed to be the spiritual parents, right, um, of adults, and so how you communicate with them and how you reach out to them is really important, and so these these conflicts are constant in a healthy church. They're almost non-existent in an unhealthy church because everybody's from the same cultural background. 
and they come together and they have a little uh, social time together and then they go home and they go you know, to somebody's house and they have lunch and the world goes to hell. Let's just be honest about it. The world just goes to hell and we're really happy with what we've got. And that is not where God's heart is at. And he wants to use you in this community right here. And so what I want to do is um, not harp on you, I apologize if it sounds like that, but give you some practical ways to reach out that, are, that can be safe. Uh, now, people from different backgrounds have unique ministry opportunities. Okay, so if, if, uh, if you're, you know, former Amish, you have some ministry opportunities with Amish people that, you know, Mike Wheeler doesn't have. He has, he's got no clue how to do that, Right? Um, but Mike Wheeler has a ministry opportunity to reach recovering addicts that most people in here won't have. He's been there, done that. And so you have a, a, a resource in people that come in from the outside that you don't have, and that's a good thing if you are able to utilize that. Now, now it may be that, that Mike never stands up here and shares a sermon or, or something like that, but that does, that's not the only place ministry happens. In fact, that should be one of the, the, the least uh, important ministry opportunities. There should be ministry going on all the time with different backgrounds. Let me give you an example. So if you, if you walk through the neighborhood with a flyer that had um, a checklist of some things that you brainstorm and, and think about what... We have, a, we have a building here. We, we've got a building in this community, and we meet there for, for church, and we have a Bible study on Saturday. But what else can we do with this building that would meet the needs that you have as our neighbors? Okay? And engage in some dialogue with them. Some of the things I wrote down, um, after-school study groups for, for kids that are struggling with uh, math or reading, uh, religious education that they don't ever get at public school. Um, I'm doing a Bible study right now at the, at the house on the book of Acts because I, I, was, a, I was still a heathen when I took um, uh, Paul's missionary journey class you know, in high school. I liked one of the girls in the class, and that's why I took it. And, I, I, and I, ugh, it was embarrassing. I love that that study. It's my favorite study I've ever done. It is incredible. We study all the places and we do videos and, and something like that for kids where, where the parents say, you know, they don't get any religious education and I can't teach it. Maybe that's an option. Uh, what about um, um, exercise groups for children? A Christian jazzercise class for, for women where you play Christian music and, and they can exercise and bring their kids. Uh, support groups for single and unwed mothers, daycare for neighborhood children, uh, Saturday carpentry, gardening or plumbing classes, uh, religious discussion classes in the evening for unbelievers where you can answer some of their questions, um, uh, Bible-based 12-step groups, which we're going to talk about quite a bit here in a little bit, and a Spanish-speaking group on anything. I mean, uh, uh, in, in Cyan, one of the ways I learned how to speak Spanish was a group called Tertulia, where people who were learning how to speak Spanish got together and we just spoke, and uh, you could do a, a you know a um, religious uh, tertulia group for people that wanted to learn how to speak Spanish. Christian movie night for young people. There, there, there is no limit to what you can do, and and what you're doing 
is you were reaching the community without making them have to come here on Sunday morning and sit with you, right? Because they may not want to do that. You don't look like them. You don't act like them. You don't have the same interest. But you meet the needs that they have, and you can be discipling them in the same t- at the same time. You can reach them in a way that we can't do on Sunday mornings. And, and here is where everybody can be involved in ministry. Everybody has a talent, a skill, an ability to, uh, to, uh, to, to hit a target audience. And, uh, and all you need is, is the time to set aside to do it. Now, many people who attend your groups will, will, won't come here on Sunday. Uh, they don't have any interest in that. And that, it's, they, don't, they don't want church or they don't want that atmosphere uh, here. They may go to church somewhere else. That's fine. It's not a big deal. But you're still reaching the community. You're still engaging in discipleship. We're, we are still fulfilling the commission to go make disciples because um, we're, no, we're not doing a real good job uh, reaching people otherwise. Um, all right, so, so this, is, uh, this is some of the, one of the issues I wanted to talk about that if you're, if you're doing community outreach, eventually you're going to face, and that is having a recovering pedophile that comes to your church. I've worked with a number of recovering pedophiles. It's an incredibly challenging circumstance for them. They uh, almost always wind up feeling rejected and leaving the church for different reasons. Uh, I am not afraid of people who say, I am, you know, I've, I've been a pedophile, I've come to Christ, I'm in recovery. It's like, welcome, brother. Now, no children's ministry for you. <laughs> Let's just get that straight right up front. But if you want to be involved in an addictions recovery group or something, that, that's great. That guy does not frighten me. The, the, the male that I don't know who wants to be around children, that guy bothers me. Because something, something about pedophiles is they look just like you. They don't have any prior record, typically. Uh, they, um, uh, you will never pick them out, is what I'm saying. So any male that wants to minister to children who you don't know for years, that's a red flag. That's a red flag. Because you probably, the, the chances are pretty high you've got a pedophile on your hands who wants access to children. And churches are one of the favorite places they go to find access. And we just welcome with open arms and say, well, praise God, we always need you know teachers for the children. You don't do Sunday school, thank God, because... Sunday school is one of the places where they, but youth ministers, the, the number of youth ministers who were pedophiles, is, it's ridiculous. So you have to be cautious. But a recovering pedophile who says, I'm a, I'm a pedophile, I was in prison, I'm in recovery, I'm a Christian now, I got saved when I was in prison. It's like, welcome, brother. Uh, you know, other than children's ministry, we're going to let you associate with us, and then, you know, just use standard precautions. You don't put an alcoholic in charge of a bar. You don't let a recovering pedophile uh, be alone with children. It's just a no-brainer, right? But, um, uh, but the ones who scare me are the ones you don't know are a pedophile, and they look just like you, and, and they, are, they can be very, very dangerous. Because, if, if a, you know, it, that's what they, they're looking for opportunities. And, uh, and you'll never see them coming. 
now, I want to talk a little bit more in depth about 12-step programs, because that's what I've facilitated since 2002, roughly. And, uh, and honestly, when I started facilitating 12-step groups, I didn't know anything about the background of the 12 steps other than Bill W. And so, uh, but it's, it's, it's amazing. Uh, don't be afraid of 12-step groups. That's, what, that's the point of this. Is, um, uh, if, has anybody heard of the Keswick movement that began over in England in 1875, roughly? Or okay, so the Keswick movement, um, uh, Andrew Murray was, uh, was a member of that. Hudson Taylor, Amy Carmichael, R.A. Torrey, Billy Graham was heavily influenced by Keswick. It, basically, if you believe in another term that they used about themselves was higher life. So if you believe in a victorious Christian life where you are living in victory over known sin, uh, you probably are being influenced by Keswick teaching because that was their contribution to Christianity at that point. It's totally biblical. I mean, I, I was Keswick and didn't even know it, you know, because I, I believe in that just from what Scripture teaches. So in 1908, there's an American Lutheran minister named Franklin Buckman, and he goes over to Keswick and actually gets saved. <laughs> He's, I know it sounds weird, but that happens a lot, you know, a minister to get saved. He actually had a conversion experience and uh, when he was at a Keswick Convention in England. And so um, in 1921, back in, this, in, in the U.S., he, uh, he formed a movement called a first, Christian, Christian, uh, first Century Christian Fellowship in 1921. Now, that eventually got changed to the Oxford Group for obvious reasons. I mean, who could remember the name of that fellowship, right? So the Oxford Bible Study Group is the direct predecessor of the 12 steps. And how that happened is um, a fellow by the name of Bill Wilson, Bill W., who joined the group in the 1930s to get help with his alcoholism. Um, and uh, he developed Alcoholics Anonymous, which was based on the Oxford Bible Study Group. And so uh, let me give you um, a little bit of a rundown here of what the 12 steps involve. Most of you may not be completely familiar with them. Steps one through three are as follows. Number one, we admitted we were powerless over alcohol, that our lives had become unmanageable. Two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood it. Okay, so these are, these are repentance steps. These are a recognition that I have a problem that I cannot deal with. Um, I'm recognizing there is someone who can, and I am going to turn my will and my life over to God to help me deal with this insurmountable problem. Now, if you substitute sin for alcohol, you have Christianity. That's all it is. And, uh, and, and many, like that young man who I baptized last week, by the way, that's why I wasn't here. I had a, a baptism for, for two men. Uh, and one of them uh, had never been able to get past step two and three. And so he had never been able to get any kind of victory over his uh, drug addiction. 
Um, because turning your will and your life over to God is easy to say, but if you're going to do it in reality, it changes your life completely. You're surrendered to your will. Your will is no longer in charge. You are, you are giving up control of your life to someone. That is repentance. That's what, exactly what repentance is. So once they do that, then the work of sanctification begins. Number four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. So they look at where their life's at. They admit to God, to themselves, and to another human being the exact nature of their wrongs. They confess about the things they've done wrong. Six, we're entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. They, they want to get cleaned up, not just from their addiction, but from everything that is wrong with them. Step seven, humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. Uh, then, step eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. And you're talking about uh, paying back things that they stole and... and uh, uh, and apologizing for, for things they'd said to people. And then verse, step nine, made direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. So they actually follow through and, and make uh, amends. Uh, step 10, continued to take personal inventory. And when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. So they're on a daily basis looking at their lives, letting the Holy Spirit bring conviction. Uh, yep, I shouldn't have said that to, to Billy Bob. You know, I got to go apologize. Whatever it is, it's just a matter of practical Christian living. Step 11, sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him, praying only for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. So they are, they are connecting with God on a personal level, which totally makes a mockery of the, the common idea that, well, my higher power is a doorknob. Okay? If your higher power is a doorknob and you're trying to consciously contact with your doorknob, then you need to be in the mental hospital. Because that doorknob doesn't have a personality, doesn't have a voice. You can't communicate with a doorknob. So if you're going to follow the 12 steps, you have to have a personal connection with God, not an inanimate object. There's, there's no ability to do that. So this is, this is a, a real working relationship with God. And then the final step, step 12, is evangelism. Having had a spiritual awakening as a result of these steps, we try to carry this message to alcoholics and to practice these principles in all our affairs. We're going out there to, to reach others that are hurting. Okay, so now I don't use the, um, uh, I, I edit a little bit the language in some of the steps uh, to make it uh, a, a bit more biblical and understandable for me, but this, the basic principles are extremely sound. Now, how, how does this benefit you as a congregation that wants to do outreach? Okay, let's say I'm a judge, and I'm sentencing Mike to probation, and he's got a substance abuse problem. Um, then one of the things I might very well do is require him to go to so many 12-step AA meetings a week or whatever. Um, because 
treatment centers and judges and everybody in the criminal justice system are in love with the 12 steps. For some reason, they don't understand that it is a faith-based biblical system, you know? And we don't really necessarily want to emphasize that. We just want them to order people to go to 12-step programs. We know what it is. They just know that it works. That's the only thing they care about. They want to see people stop harming the community. Well, so do we. We want them to be mature, responsible human beings. And we want to disciple them in this right here in the process. And the 12 steps allow the criminal justice system to get what it wants and us to get what we want, which is to connect people with the Word of God. So that's why, you know, uh, Celebrate Recovery has really missed the boat in coming up with eight steps. Okay, the judges don't like that. The treatment centers don't like that. Uh, they, they want a 12-step program. By golly, we can offer them a 12-step program. Yeah, we got one at the church for anybody who's in recovery from drugs or alcohol or gambling or, or sex, sex offenses or uh, eating disorders. You know, any, ring a bell with any of you ladies, you know, struggling with chocolate or sugar or something. That is an addiction. It is just as much an addiction as drugs or alcohol. And so you can, you can form a 12-step a program here uh, that is designed to meet all types of addictions. If you get, you know, two or three sex offenders in the group, you may want to separate them out eventually and form their own group. Uh, you know, you, and if you, but, but you can advertise that with the, with the probation office. You can advertise that with the court system, with the treatment providers. You can say, we are starting a biblical... 12-step uh, program at the church. You can even say we're just starting a 12-step program at, at the church. They don't really care what you're using. Does it follow the 12 steps? Yes, it does, Your Honor. And um, voila, you have an instant discipleship group that, um, that doesn't meet here. When you're meeting with church, it meets sometime other than that. And you are able to disciple people who are... And the, and the beauty about working with recovering addicts is this. They know that their addiction will kill them if they don't get serious about addressing it. Okay? So you will have some of the most motivated people you've ever dealt with in your life because they know it is a matter of life and death with them. It's not just some doctrinal system that they're trying to embrace versus some other church system or whatever. No, they, they are there because their life is at stake, or their freedom, uh, because the judge knows their life. It's just they, they don't know that yet, but they know their freedom's at stake. They're motivated, and, and you can use the Word of God to help them explore those things. Now, obviously, it helps significantly if you've got someone like Mike Wheeler, who is, uh, is, is, you know, knows that, that process from the inside out. But if you've, if you've got people in there that are struggling with, with sugar and chocolate, find some lady who's had some victory in that. She can be very successful in doing a, a women's group like that. You can split them up in women's and men's. Uh, the possibilities are endless. But what you're doing is you're discipling people in your community, and you don't have to bring them to church to do that. They may decide to come to church here on Sunday. They may not. It doesn't matter. But you are discipling them. You're reaching them. 
And, uh, and so I'm, I'm appealing to you to um, broaden your scope about what you want to use this building for and how you want to reach out to the community. It's not just about getting them here on Sunday morning. In fact, that should really not be something that you necessarily want to do. You want the Holy Spirit to lead them here on Sunday morning if they want to be here. But you want to disciple and reach people in the community in many different ways and meet the needs here and demonstrate the love of Christ to them. And, and the 12 steps is a fantastic way to do that. And so um, that's my primary goal today is to um, uh, get you excited about doing community outreach and acknowledging some of the major issues that can happen when people are coming uh, to church here that aren't from uh, a background that, uh, you know, that, are, that you're familiar with or comfortable with. They're not comfortable with you either. And so both of you have to reach out to one another and, uh, and cross those bridges. But we can't fulfill the Great Commission if we don't do this. All we're doing is we're coming to church and satisfying our own emotional and spiritual needs and, and saying, well, you know, doors open. If they wanted to, they could come in. You know they're not going to do that. There's no, their debt is just not, that's a pipe dream. It's an excuse. It, it's, uh, it's a cop-out is what it is. It's an absolute cop-out. Well, the doors are open. They come every morning. They are not going to do that. You find a way to give them something that they need and meet that need because that is your responsibility as the body of Christ. And I'm pointing the finger at myself. And, and you know, I've been doing that for the last 20 years. Uh, and, and I haven't had any support from any church that I've ever attended in doing that. I haven't had financial support. I haven't had emotional support. I've had a couple of ministry partners for a while, um, but mostly I have been on my own, and 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 only the the love of God flowing through me has kept me going. It is it is a burden to be involved in ministry. You have to rearrange all of your uh, vacation time around it, unless you just want to play at it. If you if you if you're serious about it, you've got to be like Thursday nights. Thursday nights, that's my ministry time. Also Sunday afternoons, but Thursdays is more difficult. So, like to take a trip with Penny, it's going to be Monday through Wednesday. That's my time, or through Thursday morning. I got to be back for Thursday night. These are the realities of ministry, and it's difficult. But if you're open to it, God will bring people here and, and give you a heart to say, "I want to serve people so badly. I will rearrange my schedule." To do that, and um, and if you can make that commitment, then um, then God will begin to use you in ways that will bless the socks off of you, and and you'll actually be seeing the Great Commission accomplished. So my my uh, summary here is: let's roll up our sleeves and reach our community. It is it is messy, but it is a calling to which uh, we must respond. The Holy Spirit will provide the wisdom and direction if we will reach out and go make disciples. Thanks, Brother John, for that word. It's always uh, good to hear you. And, uh, yeah, <clears throat> I'll be ready.
So it's just a thank you for that challenge for me is, you know, to to be a witness for Christ. You know, it's not always just about bringing them to church, but even our everyday life, you know, only throughout our day to connect with people. Sometimes, you know, uh, we might be the only Jesus that they see sometimes. And it just sometimes we don't need to preach a sermon. We just a few very simple words because um, sometimes we don't know what people at the moment are what they're going through. So it just can be a very simple thing and praying for you or keep your eyes, you know, on Jesus or whatever. Anyway, anybody have something like shit? Oh, Father, today we come together as your sons and daughters. Boldly we come to the throne of grace to find help and mercy in our time of need. And Lord, not one of us can change this little boy. We can train. We can teach. We can't change. You're the one who can change a heart. You're the only one, Lord Jesus, who can love like that and influence that deeply. And we commit Xander to you, Lord Jesus. We know the devil has his intent on him to destroy this life and take him to hell and make his life on the earth a life of hell on earth. But Lord Jesus, you came to redeem him. And I pray, Lord Jesus, even as you redeemed many, many souls throughout the history since you rose from the dead and ascended on high and sent your Holy Spirit, so I pray you would redeem this little boy. Reconcile him. Oh, Lord, I pray, open doors and give him opportunity for someone to love him, for someone, Lord Jesus, to let you live your life through them to him. And I pray that even at three years old, your Holy Spirit would speak to him, Lord. He would hear your voice just like Samuel did. And you would save him out of the hand of the enemy. And use him mightily in your kingdom to turn many to righteousness. In Jesus' name, amen. Anybody else? Thank you, John, so much for um, just the practicality of that message and um, just with expecting now, um, expecting a baby. I'm really taking a big break from what I'm doing with working with expectant moms and uh, birth. But my wheels have been turning, just wondering, like, what can I do? Because I feel like God has um, given me such a, a vision and a, a desire to um, to help in that area, I feel like I've thought oftentimes of how the devil um, is like a roaring lion seeking to kill, steal, and destroy. And for some reason, like it's like women enter into this area of life where, like, they're not helped by from that, and nobody. I mean, it has felt to me like a lot of times people don't. Like, there's not a realization that the enemy is also trying to destroy that, like, sacred, um, I mean, just even the beginnings of somebody's life and how um, 
just with different things like pregnancy and and birth um how the enemy tries so hard to steal um that and so i've been like now i'm thinking like maybe like birth education and stuff because i feel like there's so much unknown and so much fear around all of that um and the enemy just really holds a lot of women captive in that and so yeah you guys can pray for me i don't know i don't know what it will look like but um yeah maybe working some somehow working in that um but thank you so much for that. <clears throat> All right. Uh, well, we have a, a word of prayer, and then uh, we'll be dismissed. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for being here with us in our midst today, Father. And I just thank you for your love and your kindness to us. And I just pray your blessing on each one that's here. And as we go from here, that you uh, keep your watching children during this week, Father, and that we can always be in tune with your spirit and we can be uh, that beacon for you uh, in our everyday life. Lord, we just thank you for your love. We ask that all in Christ's name. Amen. One more quick thing. There is a lot of roses back there. So with your mom, we're going to ask you, though, please don't put it on a dad. <laughs> Take care of uh, the roses and uh, there's cupcakes, whatever, back there. Feel free to help yourself. And I think we have a birthday. Is it one of the children, kiddo? Oh, back there. Rowan. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday.